0: Good to see you. I'm Father Morgan Reed. I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church, um, which if you're visiting and you're new to Anglicanism, that means I'm kind of like the senior pastor in a way uh, of our mission church. We're still a very young church plant, and uh, I'm grateful to see the ways that people have grown in their participation of Lent and Ash Wednesday. Um, It's always a joy to come and be with you to celebrate this day together uh, to frame Lent together and to frame really the rest of the year. I, I didn't grow up with Lent. I didn't grow up with Ash Wednesday personally in my own uh, story. Um, and I have come to just love how today and the next six weeks really frame the rest of the year for me. Ash Wednesday is a very physical service. Uh, Last night, we had the children pummeling the ashes with stones. Uh, Last week, I had taken last year's palm branches, and my son and I burned them in the fire pit to make those ashes. Uh, The oil has been pressed and mixed with the ashes. Everything is very material, very physical uh, in this service. Um, And I like that because it reminds me that we we can't just think our way into the glory of the resurrection of Easter. We can't just think our way there. If only life were that easy. But each day we live through the complexity of a world that's broken. We live through the complexity, uh, and we we process process the complexities of our lives uh, and the relationships that we have that are broken. We're even working through the ways that our bodies are broken, whether that be physically, emotionally, mentally, and when brokenness, which is, you know, a result of sin, is a very embodied experience. It's not enough to just say, well, if I can just think happy thoughts about the resurrection then all of my life is going to follow uh, and be an Easter every day, like that's not good enough because our lives are physical. We are embodied creatures. Um, there is hope in suffering, but the embodied nature of our brokenness Demands an embodied experience of renewal. And so our faith is integrated with what our body is doing. And Ash Wednesday meets us at the beginning of Lent with this bodily commemoration that life is short and that Christ's cross is our hope. It's a very embodied experience in Ash Wednesday. We have God given limitations. Um, in our materiality, limitations of time, limitations with our resources, with what our bodies can do. And so what we do in this short life with our bodies matter. And in my first Lent, I remember receiving the ashes um, and just weeping because I was confronted with the reality that my life is so brief. And God so deeply loves my brevity um, that the ashes remind me that this is not all that there is, but in this brief time that I have, God cares what I do with this body, and God deeply loves me as his creation. And I'm not that important. I mean, none of us are that important. And yet God, God longs for us to discover in this short time that we have the love that he has for us. And now that I've been a priest for several years, this night always brings me to tears at a certain point. Every time. And I'm brought to tears whenever I impose ashes on children um, and on my family members who aren't here tonight, unfortunately. But I just feel, I feel so undone um, when I impose ashes and I remember with these children that each one of us is going to die someday. And that framing is also very necessary. We're gonna have arguments, we're gonna have disagreements together as a community, We're going to also mark our successes with joy together as a community, and we're going to grieve failures and losses together as a community. We're going to work through challenges together. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to break bread and be in each other's spaces. And all of those moments are couched inside this frame that life is going to end for each one of us. And so what we do as a community in this short time that we have with our bodies matters to God and it shapes us as we pursue the kingdom of God together the love of God and so when we receive the imposed ashes tonight you're going to hear the words remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return and I want you to allow yourself to feel the brevity that is your life The time on this earth that we have is short when we consider all of God's redemptive acts of history. And where is it in this brief life that we are longing for God's grace? That's the question. Where do we long for God's grace to be poured out on the dust of our life? Where has sin taken a foothold? We know that at times we wander. So where have we wandered Where has sin taken a hold of our lives? Where are we unable to break free of guilt and shame and live the life that God has fully called us to live? Where are we addicted? What feels broken right now? This is the season where we are called to examine those places, to identify our longings for God's grace in very tangible, very specific ways. And so all the passages, all the collects that we're going to read, even when we get to the long litany and all the things that are mentioned in those prayers, they're worth meditating on throughout the rest of Lent, these next six weeks. As I think about all these passages and and the collect that we read tonight, there's three things that I want to just briefly talk about as we frame the night together. First, God does not hate what he has made. God does not hate what he has made. It comes straight out of our collect. Second, sin keeps us from becoming what God has made us to become. It's a hindrance. And third, God's compassion is what draws us to repentance. It's God's compassion, his patience, that draws us to repentance. First, God does not hate what he's made. We read Joel chapter 2 tonight. And that's a very famous passage to begin the Lenten season. It describes a locust plague. There's actually like five different words for locusts used in the book of Joel. There's a lot of locusts happening in the book of Joel. And this locust plague is pictured going over the mountain into this fertile land that's compared to the Garden of Eden. And in the wake of that coming of these locusts, as you look at what looked like the Garden of Eden, what's left is scorched earth burned as though it had been burned by fire that's all that's left it's a prophecy of Babylon coming in to destroy Judah for the idolatry the ways that Judah had strayed and broken their covenant with the Lord it's pictured mythologically as chaos undoing creation right because what God makes is very good and he subdues the chaos but here chaos is seen as undoing creation God's order. And that doesn't have to be the reality. In verses 12 and 13 of Joel chapter 2, the prophet invites the people to return to the Lord, to return to Yahweh with all their heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And they're called to tear their hearts and not just their garments. And because God is gracious and merciful, he is slow to anger And he is abounding in steadfast love. That is actually a drumbeat, like a creed throughout the Old Testament. Happens all the way back in the book of Exodus. And it occurs like a drumbeat throughout the rest of the Old Testament. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he's the one who turns away from his judgment when they turn away from their sin. His longing for them is to experience his loving kindness, to experience his patience, and not to experience his judgment. It's a he's a God of mercy, a God of compassion, of loving kindness. And and that's what we read again in the psalm that we we recited together. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you can read this again in the New Testament, in Saint Paul's letter to the Romans. Chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And I grew up hearing evangelism techniques that were not that. They were meant to scare me into the faith. Right? The, the thing that they were trying to compel me with was God's anger and judgment. And as a result, you can only imagine that it is way too easy for me to picture God as this angry divine parent that I need to turn away from my sin for to appease him because he's angry at me, right? But that is not true of God. It's not a healthy view of our Lord. So when you give up something for Lent, it is good to fast, but don't do it to appease an angry God. That is not God's disposition towards you. He is not compelling you through anger and judgment. He compels us with patience, kindness, and steadfast love with life that we would experience in him. This is what salvation is. And so we're not fasting from sin. If you discover sin, get rid of it. It's not something you pick up again. We're fasting from something good. We're withholding something good from ourselves to hold space for God to speak and to reveal to us those places where we may have wandered off track. Um, That happens even after we've been baptized. There are times we just slowly wander. And so this is a season to recalibrate, to ask the Lord, to hold space for him to speak and say, where have I wandered off track? Um, We would do well not just to take things away during the season, but to add practices that might help us as well. Um, I've got an examine, if you're interested, that walks through the seven deadly sins. So for me, each night, I'm taking one of those and I'm just praying it as my evening prayer to say, OK, Lord, this is where vainglory showed up today. And I'll, there's questions to help me ask the Lord, where has it shown up today or a gluttony, etc. And, and where has that occurred? And because there's seven, you can do one each day. Um, so adding habits to our life during when it can be really helpful to create space. We don't do things out of fear that God's angry with us, right? We, we do them because God loves us and he wants to make us new and he wants to make us whole, integrated people where what we experience in body and mind is, is in tune with the salvation of our souls and life with him. That's his desire for us. And so second, sin keeps us from becoming All that God would have us to become. It's impossible to go through our life without being wounded by sin. I mean, I would ask for a show of hands, but everybody would raise their hand. It is impossible for us to go through life without being wounded by sin. And the reality is, um, it might be a harm inflicted on us by sin, but we are also ones who harm others through our sins and the ways that we have deviated from the life of God. And so what do we do when that sin is revealed? And the ultimate answer is to confess that to the Lord. But also, as you discover those places, use them to ask questions, to be curious about your own story. Perhaps the brokenness that you're experiencing, that you've identified, perhaps that brokenness runs far deeper than you had expected. And the hope is that God's grace runs deeper than your brokenness. And this is an opportunity then to explore the depths of God's forgiveness, the depths of His healing transformation for you, and to discover the greater story of redemption that God is telling through your story. And so, where have we dehumanized others for our benefit? Where have we been caused to feel less than worthy of God's love as His creatures and sons and daughters? What makes us angry? Where do we struggle to forgive? Uh, Where do we get frustrated with others? Where do we frustrate others? Um, We don't need to wrestle with whether or not we belong in the kingdom of God, but to wrestle with how God might heal our brokenness as children uh, in the kingdom of God as part of his greater redemption story. Sin is our rebellion against God's life. And His love, and it's not something that we need to stay in. We're not bound to sin in any way when we're in Christ. This is not something that holds on to that of necessity holds on to you any longer. We are not destined to be bound by sin, and so let this season of Lent become an invitation for you to explore where freedom and grace need to be sought in, in for God's healing. And third, it's God's compassion that draws us to repentance. It's God's compassion. It may not seem like it, but the practices of fasting and almsgiving and prayer, uh, even you can even add weeping to this. These are practices that draw us into the compassion and love of God. Now, I know for health reasons, it might not be wise for some to do a total fast, um, but it is formative to eat just enough to sustain you so you can still function and not pass out without experiencing complete satisfaction. That's a formative bodily experience. The body is reminded that it is dependent on God for life. I'm reminded that we don't live by bread alone, but it's by the very mouth of God, that I'm longing for my Creator to speak, and to guide me in the things that I need for life with him. And so fasting, uh, proper fasting with the right heart, can allow us to listen. It tunes our ears to hear God's voice. Giving to those in need reminds us that all that we have is going to go back to the Lord. And so we share in this economy of compassion, and we show the humility of Christ himself and the kingdom of God when we give of ourselves and of our resources for the flourishing of others with, with wisdom and prayerful wisdom. So this season invites us to, to turn from the actions and the dispositions and the thoughts and the attitudes that can so easily entangle us in our, our, our journey back towards the Father. And it turns us towards the one, our God, who longs to lavish his grace on us. And that's part of the journey of Lent. As we go from here all the way through Holy Week, we are learning the revealing of God's grace for his people in Christ on the cross and in his resurrection. God is, as the colleague says, God is more ready to hear than we are to pray. And so this is a season to seek God in prayer, the one who's more ready to hear than we are to pray. And that helps us frame the rest of the year. It's not done out of guilt or fear. We're not um, we're not compelled by God's anger. We are compelled by the loving compassion of our God, whose abundant mercy and steadfast love are, are lavished on his children. And so life, life is short. There's again, coming back to what this night reminds us of. Life is very brief. And this night reminds us that the end is coming, that God is going to overturn all those harms that were caused all the, the wrongs that were done, and where we haven't yet experienced the loving lordship of Christ in our lives, we are invited to ask God for his help in very specific ways. So tonight what we'll do is you're going to be invited to come down, and you're going to be invited to receive a bit of ash in the shape of a cross on your forehead, and to hear the words, remember that you are dust into dust, you shall return. And while the dust reminds us of the brevity of our lives, the cross reminds us of the hope that we have in Christ. We wear this symbol on our foreheads tonight that death is not the end of the story. So even death is going to be swallowed up in the victory of Christ, the victory that he's won for his people. So I want to take a minute, a solid minute, even two, to just reflect in silence about where we are longing for the grace of God this evening.